This upcoming concert season will be all about the boots, and Tecovis is your stop for the best in Western style. Tecovis has seasonal and limited edition offerings this spring and summer, including men's and women's boots, apparel, hats, bags, and more. All Tecovis boots are made by hand in a time-honored tradition with timeless styles that are always on trend. And Tecovis has first wear comfort with little to no break-in period. It's hard to find this level of comfort paired with this level of style. Stop by your local Tacova store, have a complimentary drink or two, that's WCB style, and shop new styles. The smell of fresh leather and friendly staff are at your service. Many stores even have leather custom branding to make your boots truly personalized. And with regular live music and events, there's no in-store experience like it. If you can't make it into a store, just visit Tacovas.com. That's T-E-C-O-V-A-S.com. They offer free shipping on all boots, as well as free returns and exchanges, and ship right to your door. Go to tecovis.com and find your new favorite pair of boots today. Fishing like a local isn't just about catching fish. It's about connecting with the environment and the people who call it home. It's about hearing the stories and traditions that have been passed down for generations and sharing unforgettable moments with the people you meet along the way. Fishing like a local is having an experience that stays with you forever. And with Fishing Booker, you can experience it too, no matter where you are. Discover your next adventure on Fishing Booker. I'm April Vokey, and you are listening to Anchored my chance to speak with some of the most influential people involved in the fishing world today. Join me as I travel to sit face-to-face with my guests in their own homes to learn more about their careers, opinions, history, relationships, and life both on and off the water. I am proud to say that this episode is made possible by the wonderful people at Hatch Outdoors. There's a reason you've been seeing Hatch on all the guideboats these days, and the reason is that quality gear is invaluable when it comes to landing that fish of a lifetime. I've been using Hatch Reel since their first year of business, and I can honestly say that when it comes to confidence in my equipment, Hatch has never let me down. Every component of a Hatch Reel is proudly made in the USA, but it's their prompt customer service that really shines through. Hatch supports the industry, the economy, and the environment. Check them out at www.hatchoutdoors.com. You've likely seen his name printed on fly tying packages hanging from fly shop walls around the world. Greg Senyo dubbing, shanks, brushes, and streamers, the man seems to be everywhere. Guide, outfitter, famed fly tire, and author, Greg has recently published his first book, Fusion Fly Tying. In this episode, Greg and I throw caution to the wind as we discuss guiding burnouts and the dangers of social media. Pennsylvania, uh, actually in Girard, which is about 25 minutes or so from the city of Erie, right on beautiful Elk Creek, uh, which is our Pennsylvania's most famous steelhead river. Why is it PA's most famous river? Um, number one, it receives the most stocking of steelhead traditionally every year. You know, it gets, I, I'm assuming, between 250,000 to 500,000 steelhead. Um, I'm not entirely accurate. I'm sure I'm off a biologist or the fish commission can probably give you a better stat on that, but it's uh, also our biggest tributary. Um, it's, uh, it got the, you know, the name or the, the coin steel, you know, Elk Creek is like the heart or the center of steelhead alley. Um, I don't know how many articles and, books and things were published based on that stream. It's just uh, how it became popular was Rick Rick Kustich Mm -hmm. did the article called Steelhead Alley. And uh, during that article, you know, he mentioned Elk Creek and some of the other tributaries, you know, from Buffalo, New York through Cleveland, Ohio. And uh, 
it got popular because everybody, it's a place that you can actually go and with reasonable skill level and catch fish. Backtrack a little bit to yeah. your, you as a kid. Yeah. I mean, to me, you've always been Greg Senyo, forced to be reckoned with, man of, you know, many talents. <laughs> I can't. Right. I can't picture you as a kid. Tell me what it was. I mean, when did you start fishing? Um, so my dad, you know, was a he's a big hunter. Um, I don't. I don't think you today could pull my dad out of the woods for whitetail or black bear. He's really passionate. He's really good. But growing up, he knew that like I just loved to go fishing. So every chance we got during trout season, he would get the spinning rods out and we'd go trout fishing and fishing salted minnows and catching brown trout and and uh it was literally walking down to the stream and fly fishing really wasn't huge back then it was a nice mix you know there's a few fly fishermen a few guys a majority of guys were using um noodle rods and drifting or believe it or not using flatfish a lot of guys would swing and use flatfish and so I would watch, and I was always fascinated with the fly fishermen, you know, making their cast, the way they were doing things, the, the hookup, the excitement that they got. And uh, I went home, and I told my dad I wanted to do that. And uh, he was kind of, like, wide-eyed, kind of like, what's fly fishing? And, like, I don't know how to do any of this stuff. And, you know, so I started riding my bike, venturing over to like Elk Creek Sports Store, Folly's End Fly Shop. And, you know, I started getting a little bit of knowledge from the old guys on this is what you need, this is what you want to do. And I, to be honest with you, I couldn't afford anything. I was just a little kid going to the going to the stores to rob the fly bins, you know, to try to cast flies on my spinning rod and to get a candy bar. You know, I didn't know anything. I didn't really have a, I was passionate about, I knew I wanted to catch them. I knew I wanted to do it, but I was young. I was like eight, nine years old. I didn't really have a path or a goal or anything. And one day, I, I, I think it was my grandfather got me like a, an eagle claw set up from like the local Kmart. And I remember I went down and I didn't know that you needed backing on your flywheel. Oh, I'm just no. A, I'm okay. just a young kid. You yeah. Know, I don't know any better. <laughs> so I tie a knot in the fly line and I spool it onto like a little, you know, the little enclosed, like the old school Martin reels. You know, I put it in and. You know, I seen what the old guys were doing, so I, like, cut off a big hunk of Berkeley trilene and, you know, eight-year-old kid tying a knot to the to the fly line and putting the bobber on and trying to cast and get it all down. And I am, like, really screwing up, like, the water bad. Mm-hmm. Like, all the old guys are looking at me like, you can't do this. You know, <laughs> like, like, you're killing us, you know. And instead of being angry about it, you know, they were actually quite gracious so one of the first actual nice flat rod outfits that I got was one of these old guys got tired of me standing next to him, sloshing his water, and he took me up to his car, and he pulled out a brand-new rod and reel, line, the works, handed me a box of flies, showed me how to you know, get a roll cat, how to do a few things, and he said, see this pool? He said, you're going to sit on this pool until you learn how to drift and you catch a fish. And he's like, until you touch that fish, you cannot move from this pool. And I'll give you everything I've just given you if you do that. And I was like, okay, I can I can do this. I can try this. And I totally lied. You know, I failed miserably and, you know, just terrible. You know, I just gave up. You know, yeah, I was right. just like, I was ready to go back to a, to a spinning rod. And I was like 10 10, 11 years old at that time. Again, you know, I did, tried for so long and just didn't do any good. Still hadn't landed my first steelhead. And uh, I met one of my lifelong friends today, and Jason Gregory. And um, to be honest with you, he was a versed fly tire. He was for a young guy. He was already tying eggs and mully buggers and nymphs and all the other crazy good stuff. And uh, I started tying with him. We started going to classes, and he was a really good fly caster. And uh, we didn't know any better. We were using five weights and little trout reels, and we were going out. And finally, uh, we connected, and it came together one day, and we caught a bunch of fish, and we really had a good time. And, I mean, it was like scoring a touchdown in the Super Bowl. I mean, you couldn't imagine how exciting, you know, being a, I mean, I remember I rode my bike home like I was the champ. You right. know what I mean? I was so excited. But then that's when we started getting serious. 
you know, and, you know, I started going to a lot of flight time classes, we would tie endless hours. You know, we really focused on paying attention to how to rig, what a leader was, what tip mm-hmm. it. So it just, like, I think like everybody else, like my advancements were trial and error, uh, very slow. Mm-hmm. Um, there wasn't a lot of instructors or people around that were really versed in fly fishing that were willing to help you. And I know there, those people existed, but I was just too young to know how to reach that. Yeah. Uh, my dad was an outdoorsman, just a big hunter, not a fisherman. So he didn't know where the resources were to look for those things. Mm-hmm. So the beginning of my fly fishing was me and a buddy really going out, putting the time in in the river finding the fish, learning what equipment we should use, how to tie better flies, why it should be smaller or bigger. You know, mm-hmm. they would put a lot of time and a lot of years. And, I mean, to the point where it got good enough, like one of our first businesses when we were in high school was we tied flies and we'd sell them to the local fly shops. Okay. All right. It's making sense now. So we started tying flies, you know, for the fly shops, and we started spending more time there, and the more people, and that's how you meet people. Um the fly shops, you know, some they're like that today. There are fly shops around there like that where a lot of people will linger and hang out and drink coffee and share a beer, tell a story. And, you know, back then, that's the way it was. I mean, you, you went in and you spent four hours in the fly shop or in the bait shop and you drank coffee and you talked and you learned where the fishing was good. And that's that's where I cut my teeth. And, uh, and it just was time. You know, I remember we'd get out of school run down to the river, catch a few fish before dark. Mm-hmm. Uh, I remember in the winter, we would dig holes in the in the snow banks and bury our fishing gear and pretend like we're going to school. And then when everybody left, we would undig our gear and go steelhead fish all day. Right. That's and classic. What a great idea. Yeah. I mean, it's uh, we spent a lot of time figuring it out. And then uh, you meet, like I said, you meet people. And I met guides, you know, and the guides were started sharing their tips and their tricks um, I started reading a little more. Mm-hmm. You know, I started seeing some of the local guys and some of the local publications, the local newspaper. Um, the old steelhead guides like Michael Bennett, which, uh, you know, he was a guy that you, you know, like that stature you'd see on the river, like some of your iconic people for my small Lake Erie tributaries. You know, Michael Bennett was like a staple. You could know that he was going to stand out there and, he was going to be smoking a cigarette and kept, you know, netting steelhead for his client. And he was always willing to share tips with you, you know, how deep we should be fishing, how to drift better. Mm-hmm. And, and that's what our fishing was then. It was, uh, it was primarily, and, it, and to a lot of extent, it still is today, you know, a, a bobber, two fly, two small flies under a bobber kind of, you know, trout fishing. Um, that's the way we learned. That's why we cut our teeth, you know, it was a, uh, what they call the sucker spawn or scrambled egg oh, or glow bug them. and uh, a black stone fly nymph or a prince nymph. Yeah. You know, that was every day. And then it wasn't, uh, you know, long after high school, you know, I, I went, you know, to college for a while. And, what you know, did you take in college? Just general studies in college. And then when I, when I moved to Toledo, you know, later in life, you know, I, I'd left college for a little while, but then I'd went in, into law enforcement and criminal justice here. What, you know, so if you want me to be honest, you know, I wasn't, I wasn't really mature enough. I don't think right out of high school. I mean, I wanted to fish. I wanted to hunt. Like I felt like I'd already done enough school. I didn't want to go to school anymore. And uh, I kind of suffered. I just wanted to play football. Mm-hmm. And uh, to be honest with you, I wasted, you know, I think a lot of money, you know, trying to find that decision. But, you know, it's just like anything else in life. It's the truth. And, you know, you gotta gotta make mistakes to get better. So, steelhead fishing, you know, locally kind of ruined a lot of things for me. But at the same token, <laughs> at, the, at the time, yeah. But at the same token, you know, it, it kept me out of trouble too. On on another extent, you know, I never partied too hard or drank too much or caused a lot of mischief. You know, I focused my time and spending it on the water. So when did you start guiding? I was. A, uh, 96, 97. Okay. And it wasn't, you know, it's funny, it's not like guiding was today. Right. Um, it was it was more simple than because I, I didn't know any better. Uh, I didn't have, a like, an established outfitter to take me under their wing. So at the time, they were building a state prison in the town next to ours. 
there's all kinds of construction workers and like executives and people in town. And we used to take like a group of seven or eight fly fishing on Elk Creek for $50 a person. So they would meet us at the high school and we would take them down the river. We fish all day. So you started your own guide company? I did. Okay. And without working for somebody else first? Correct. Wow. I mean, wow. I did. I, but see, I couldn't even call it a guide company. I didn't realize it was a guide company. It was more like yeah, my okay. fly company. Right. That, you know, we, we were the local kids that knew where all the fish were and we were cheap. The guides the, must have loved you. Yeah. And that's the thing is I didn't really know any of them at the time, you know, except for passing them in a flash. I didn't even know what I was doing was technically like if you think about it today it's kind of like taboo you know yeah well and you're not going to see it online because there was no online not really this is like before like you know like i feel like guiding is like really popular today it seems like it's almost even trendy isn't it yeah it seems like i'm a guy yeah there's like guides everywhere you know it's like you know maybe it's just because i spend i'm you know i'm always in the industry and around things that i see it that way but like on my water, I know said more. What the listener does not realize at this point is that we have honestly been talking. Let's see, it's ten to ten. What time do we sit down here? Uh, Six thirty. Okay, you and I have discussed just about everything from the most personal of our lives to our profession to our opinions. Yep. A lot of this stuff, just for the sake of our listeners' sanity, because I don't think that the general public could even handle our conversation that we've had already tonight. I really don't think so. Nope. So we're going to keep it pretty simple, but I do want to just go into things that you've seen change. So when did you and I first meet? I mean, when did we phone meet? I remember chatting with you on the phone before I ever had actually met you. Yeah. It was when we were literally like cutting our teeth, I think, or, you know, finally uh, figuring everything out the right way. Right. And uh, looking to progress. And That's right. I think we had some of the same issues, you know, same setbacks or, you know, maybe if you ask me the truth, like in my early days, uh, I didn't really ha- know which direction I should go. So it was nice as some of us that were younger back then and doing things, we kind of leaned on each other for some advice because uh, mm-hmm. you felt like you couldn't get it anywhere else. And I think that's how we connected right away. And it was a great connection. It was. And uh, we've remained friends, and I've watched you grow to... Vice versa. Yeah, we've watched each other grow. Now, you are kind of this... I mean, you even then, you were the streamer guy. You took a lot of the same flies, very similar flies that we were tying on the West Coast, mm-hmm. and you had your own variations of them out here. And yep. they were big and gaudy, if you will, and flashy, and they caught fish. Correct. And I remember coming out here, and you gave me a handful of them, and I was just like, Wow. These are aggressive, but I'll give them my best. And I didn't. They had some characteristics that I'd never sure. actually seen before in flies. And they worked. They were excellent. Thank you. Who was doing that? So Feenstra was doing that Fien- at some point, right? Feenstra, yes. Feenstra is he's a fishy cat. You know, he's he's got a really good eye for contrast and putting different flashes and material combinations. And, he, you know, he makes flies that fish. You know, not flies that appeal to, like, per se, like, appearance or what the masses think. He, yeah. he's a, he is a cutthroat fisherman. He is keen to his prey. And, and I was intrigued, you know, like the double B chain, which he used for eyes for weight. I mean, I love, I love that idea. I just use it. My rivers are, sh- like, shallower, so my intent for the double B chain was different. It was just to be able to cut them off and give keel and different movement to the fly. But it was because of what I seen him doing that, you know, sparked the idea, just like a lot of the West coast flies, like, you know, the intruders or the hobos and those type of things, you know, even in the classics, which you, you, you're quite passionate about. The funny thing is, is like early on, I couldn't find all these materials or Mm. even if I did, I didn't, didn't really want to use them all so like one of the big deals that i wanted to do or is concentrate on the synthetics they were so readily available and uh that's what you know that's what our fish are i i I can't explain it really at the time but there was more flash of crystal flash Mm -hmm. egg yarn 
you know, besides simple rabbit strips and stuff but, like that. I mean, here. How did you progress from a sucker spawn to these streamers? Because did I mean, was it Feenstra? Was he your influence, or who? Who are? I mean, there were several. There were influence? several several people. I mean, you know, don't forget that's the time frame where the internet was starting to get popular. Yeah. And where we could all connect, that's and right. you know, yeah, I was a straight, you know, small streamer, nymph, eggs. You know, I was just your typical. To be honest with you, just like an average fishing guide, mm. you know, nothing's no, no better, no worse than any other fishing guy that was out there. You know, I just tried to be fun. I worked really hard. You know what I mean? I continue to work hard, but I didn't offer anything special. I'm not really even known for that. I mean, like for my fly time that I'm known for the day is like my big deal is I, I was sick over it. Like any new material I could find, anything crazy that's not being used. I was just always looking for something different. I, I honestly don't know why other than I just wanted to see what I could get away with. Does okay. that make sense? That's a great answer. Yeah. I mean, it actually it just, suits you. To me, that makes yeah, sense. You know, I just, I just wanted to do something different. I wanted a chance to create something that maybe had my own, kind of wet my own appetite. Yeah. It really had nothing to do with, like, trying to do something cool for anybody else. It literally just had something to do that was different for me and it was exciting and I knew that maybe I'd have something different in my box Mm -hmm. um that's the one thing about our fishery is like you can't get away from like 10,000 mooly buggers 10,000 egg flies and a whole lot of prints that float down the river sometimes it was really hard to be different and you had to be because our pressure here at times can be quite intense Mm -hmm. you know there's a lot of people fishing there's a lot of fish which brings a lot of people you know there's only x amount of water water conditions change all the time so you know, even today, a lot of people are still fishing the same stuff, like, you know, bully bugger, egg fly, mm-hmm. egg fly nymph. You know, they see some of these big streamers that we're fishing today, and they just go, oh, my God, like, you, you can't be catching anything here. You're right. scaring everything. And I decided to focus more on the predator end of the fish, and that's where these flies became the appeal, seeing Kevin Feenstra do it, seeing what's going on on the West Coast. I mean, spay casting wasn't even, back then, wasn't even in my repertoire. I wasn't even thinking of, you know, these small streams and spay casting or switch rods or any of that other kind of stuff. I was thinking more or less, you know, how can I apply? And it was simply, we're trout fishermen, and I fish central Pennsylvania. But fly swings, we do them all the time. Mm-hmm. So we applied the same thing with a steelhead taper and a leader, and we made our flies, you know, so that we could get them deep enough and fish well. You've always fished a lot of synthetics, it seems. Uh Uh-huh. And when I walk into a fly shop almost anywhere in the world these days, I see your last name, I see Senyo, on packages everywhere. What? What sparked my interest? Yeah. So the truth is, is there was a gentleman on our river. His name was Ed Bordas. And he had made a material that was called laser yarn. Mm. And it was a, a natural material. And he made some fancy machine. And he would make this, like, wool that was like cotton candy. But when you would apply it with the tail material and the different colors, it just was this, like, laser beam underwater. And the steelhead just loved it. And it was a really cool material. Like, for me, that was, like, one of the coolest new materials I'd ever seen. And it wasn't long after, you know, he had passed away. And his family decided to get rid of the machine. Nobody knows where it kind of is today. And once his machine was gone, the material slowly faded away. This time, you know, like a few years later, you know, I had gotten some recognition from like John Nagy, Mm -hmm. um, which did the Steelhead Guidebook, and uh, Matt Matt Sapinski, Mm -hmm. which Matt has been, you know, a big big help for me you know he's you know he's kind of my personality you know what I mean he's outgoing he tells it the way it is you know it doesn't always uh, sit well with people but he's honest and he's fishy and he's smart and he thinks about things and these guys had contacts in the industry that I I didn't and I was put into you know I ended up tying flies for Orvis through through some of those connections and uh and uh, Sean Brillen from the Orvis Company, he uh, hooked me up with Marcos uh, Bergera. He he works at Hairline, and uh, it took off. And you know, I pitched an idea that I wanted to do my own dubbing, which was the laser dubbing. And 
but I want to do a synthetic with some flash added to it, you know, kind of give it some zip, but also to pay homage to a material that was long lost that was so important on our on our watershed. And that's where laser dub had come from was more or less a tribute to a material that was there that had the same characteristics, but it was synthetic. It wasn't the original. It would never be the original and it shouldn't be Right. at yeah. the same token. It, it was just meant to pay tribute, but it did really well. And, you know, people loved it and it, I'd seen, I don't know how many different patterns and ideas spark from it. And I was given further opportunities, you know, to I'll do. Because now it's like, I mean, there's, Flash, walk me through it. We've got flash, dabbing. Predator wrap, different types of rubber legs with different synthetics and colorations. Brushes, brushes. Enrico Puglisi. Yeah. But uh, no, several materials, that, it, you know, a chance and an opportunity to, you know, they were gracious. They were really good and they, they, they didn't, they gave me an opportunity to be experimental. Doing well with one material gave me an opportunity to explore and pitch ideas and i you know i i will say like you know hairline's a small company it was a fan you know family-run company it's fishy guys they really love their job they work extremely hard but it gave me an opportunity to work with them and they're the kind of guys that they're like a no bs approach mm. you know they told me if i was insane they told me if it wasn't feasible like i should be looking in a different direction they they would tell me like an idea was dumb or it wasn't worth pursuing and to be honest with you i mean like a lot of people aren't willing to do that these days they're not willing to tell you like you need to focus on something else or you know this is cool but let's do it this way you know it seems like sometimes you know like anything that i've done that has my name on it i mean i honestly like i could pay tribute to I don't know how many different people for giving me that opportunity to have a chance to have a successful product line. You know what I mean? And I, if anything in the fly fishing industry, that's what I want. I wanted to be, I'm a tire, you know, and I, I fish, I like to fish for me. You know, I, I guided cause it was a necessity and, but my staff is better than today than I, I think I could ever be. You know, I, I do. I think they, they work hard and, you know, they're top of the line. They're on the water every day. You know how it is. It's really hard. You know, I've got two kids and other responsibilities, and I stay as fishy and as active in my business as possible, and I help everybody I can. But fly tying, I can do all the time. Okay, well, let's talk about something. You're a realist, and you're being extremely professional on my podcast, and I appreciate that. For now, right? For now. <laughs> You started your class today, because we, we taught a class yeah. together, and you started your class probably in the most unique manner I've ever seen anybody sure. open with. And it went something like this. I am not the most PC person you are going to meet. In fact, I'm not PC at all. And this fly may not be for all of you, but it's what's for me. Do you always start your classes like that? Um, anymore, I do. I mean, I, I look at it as like I, I'm grateful that people want to come to my class and see things and maybe get a spin, you know, a different spin, or maybe get the wheels turning. I mean, let's be honest. I mean, fly tires spark the imagination of other fly tires. It's not the other way around. You know, I, I see a Jerry French fly. I, I get all excited. Right. Okay. I mean, come on. I mean, yeah. it's funny as he's like using materials that have my name on it and he's doing them in cooler applications than I am. What's not to like? That's yeah. what this is. This is what fishing is about. Right. You know, it's that cool, that that's what drives the whole thing. And I, I Sometimes when you get into classes and I feel like sometimes we put on like the charade that we have to be these professional people and we can't say things the way they need to be said or, you know, there's a, a script that has to follow. To be honest with you, I just like to get up anymore and just be myself. Yeah. So do you think that we're about to go through this strange transition? I'm noticing. I mean, I just l read an article. Was it Dieter who wrote this article about the industry? Uh, yeah, a, it was very good. There's a, It was. It was honest. There's a lot of us. I just feel like there is this weird resurgence in the industry where people are finally starting to say, you know what? Enough of the bubble gum, you guys. I'm going to be real. And I've noticed that my tolerance is definitely a little bit different than it used to be. I'm, sure. I'm a lot more blunt than I was. And I noticed today that you are too. Now, we both have our own philosophies behind that. Yeah. You, have you noticed that, that, that there's a change happening right now? Though? Yeah, there is. I mean, there there is a change. It's just... I think a change, have, a lot has to do with social media. 
I think it also has to do with the glamorization of fly fishing. Um, let's be honest, fly fishing is pretty awesome. Like, I understand why people want to do it. I, it's, it's a huge part of my life. It's, you know, there's not a day that goes by that I don't think about it in some manner or another or where I want to go or what I want to tie or what's coming out next. What's the latest product that's going to come out? I mean, let's admit, you know, we all get into that part of, you know, it's, it's, it's like our, for me, it feels like it's like now a part of my, what my heritage is going to be. You know, fly fishing is so important. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's crazy. It's, it's fly fishing. There's so many other things that are so important in life, but yeah. yet I think of fly fishing <laughs> all the time. Yeah. Okay. But my, my approach to it is so much different now. Like I feel like, you know, and, and sometimes guys look at it like, oh, you know, you, you have another career. Okay. Can we talk? Can you just mention what you are? In sure. I, I work as uh, an assistant police chief uh, for for a department in Ohio, mm-hmm. and uh, so I do invest some time there. Not as not as much as usual, but you know, I'm I'm still invested in in my town and in my department. They're you know they're they're very important to me. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? But so is my outfitter. Mm-hmm. So is my family. You know, and I put as much time into my fly fishing and my outfitter, if not more, and people that that's all they do. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, my approach to it is just a little different. Instead of waiting for people to wait on other people for opportunities, I go and make my own opportunities. Yeah, you do. And, you know, I work hard to achieve them. Or if I have ideas, I, I'd rather go out and get denied than just sit on them and not take the chance. I feel like that's that's a big problem is nobody's really willing to take a chance or say what they need to say. You know, it's like you said about the opening of my class, you know, I just, anymore, I feel like because of the way social media is where nobody can say anything without taking offense, you know, there's always some armchair quarterback, you know, you know, that's half, half bald and got a beard and two kids in the background eating ramen noodles, sitting at a computer, you know, sitting there telling me how bad of a fly fisherman I am. And he fishes four times a year. You know, it's like, I don't, I don't really care about that stuff, but everybody's on it. I mean, there, how many days have you had a few extra minutes? And the first thing you do is uh, scroll through your feed. Just for me, I want to see fish pictures. I do. I, I, I know, you know, I just want to see what's going on in the world. So I love seeing a big steelhead caught out West. I love seeing the big brown trout caught on, on the, you know, out in Montana. I, I love seeing the Atlantic salmon caught. You know, I, I enjoy that because those are things I'm not doing. You know, I, I know what my, my fishery is doing, but seeing what everybody else is doing is really, really cool. And I enjoy that. And so I'm a contributor to social media. Those, yeah, you know, to, to some extent. So I'm not pointing the finger. No, know? I know. And if you were, you'd be pointing it in the right direction. I mean, right. I post every single day. Yeah. And I mean, I, I, there's an aspect of it that I enjoy, you know, and I even, you know, comment on that in my book about how all of our idiosyncrasies are kind of going haywire and crazy and we're seeing things at like light speed where we used to not know them for weeks or months Mm. so like like i said about like starting my class you know that you found that it was kind of unique i just anymore i feel like i just need to prep people to be up front like i can't help it i swear but why yeah i know why Um, does social media make you feel is everybody so sensitive okay so i feel like i have to stand up and make sure i introduce myself not just who i am but how i'm going to act for the day like if you don't like that i chew tobacco you know it's really tough shit i'm not going to take my chew out just because you don't want to see me spit in a cup and as politically incorrect as people might see (laughs) that as nasty or whatever i really don't care right you know just like you blowing somebody blowing e-cigarette like it doesn't smell it's like whatever you know, it's still a habit. You have it. Enjoy it. But I just feel like I need to tell people up front, like, I'm going to say things that might offend you. I'm sorry. I, but I really don't care. I really don't anymore. I don't care that somebody's going to be pissed off at everything I have to say. And so that's you know, your obstacle then. Okay. So just as much as my obstacle is I'm at the stage where I don't care if you can't see past my gender. Sure. You're at the stage where you don't care if people can't see past just how blunt you are. Right. Okay. And the thing is, though, you know, as blunt as it is to introduce that way, look how much fun we have. It was so this, much fun. This the whole laughter in the room. But the Every- whole room, their jaw dropped. They did not know what to expect. And then 
they started to relax. And you know what else? It's almost like they expected after that, like you were going to like lay the smack down on them. And then when they realized, hey, you're a really nice guy, but you're just going to say it for how it is, yeah. they seem to really appreciate that. They do. You notice how everybody in the room kind of like put their guard down. Why are you coming to something that's supposed to entertain you and you're all uptight about it? That's what my problem is. Why are you signing up for something that we have to sit there and be statues and like do something the way they did it in 20 years ago? Yeah. You know, to be honest with you, I want to have fun. I want to tell jokes. I want to tie a cool fly. I want to really have a rapport with you. I want to see who you are for you. You know what I mean? And, you know, if you don't enjoy yourself, I totally understand you not coming back. But, you know, why hold back the fun when everybody can really have an enjoyable day? And fly tying, all this stuff is supposed to be fun. And you can't say that you haven't felt this way, but how many times have you gone out and not had fun doing something fly fishing related? It has happened. Oh, oh, it has Several happened. times. Oh, big time. No question. I got tired of being that elephant in the room. Like, you know, I think it's time, it's time people be who they are, be themselves. And, you know, if they don't like you for who you are, you know, or for what you're doing or what your contribution is, then... Do a contribution of their own. Find their own, find somebody that they do gel with and stick with it and enjoy it because this is supposed to be fun. Coming up, Greg and I talk about his book and the importance of keeping it real. Again, thank you to Hatch. The tight tolerance between frame and spool means no more tangling with skinny running line that gets trapped and reversed. I've lost some big fish that way and Hatch simply removes the constant checking and worrying. After all, there are more important things to be paying attention to when on the water. Visit Hatch at www.hatchoutdoors.com and be prepared to make one of the best fishing investments you've made so far. Your book is fun. You just put out a book. I did. And if I'm going to have you on the show, we have to at least talk about your book. So tell me what your book is about. It's just fly tying, step by step. I I did 36 patterns in the book. And uh, the first 25 are like flies that I use a lot for steelhead and salmon and trout. And uh, the last 10 flies in the book are for some, you know, really creative tires like Mike Schmidt from Mm -hmm. Angular Choice Flies, Mike Schultz, just several really good. And they're more like out of the steelhead trout round, but they're not. They're just the big, big, big flies, you know, that don't get thrown every day that are really finding their place in the Great Lakes and abroad, you know, like Mm -hmm. Tommy Lynch's Drunk and Disorderly. You know, the streamer guys are figuring out that stripping streamers for for steelhead is just as exciting as swinging a steelhead for, you know, swinging a fly for steelhead. Mm -hmm. So trying to give people some different options and also crossover patterns. But not just for steelhead, not just for salmon. They can also have a little bit of smallmouth bass influence or other species influence as well. And I think that's important. I really do. I think, like, you know, it's like saying the woolly bugger and the muddler minnow didn't inspire. Look at how many articulated flies and trout flies that are based off a simple woolly bugger pattern mm-hmm. just made holy cat bigger and <laughs> more complicated and really cool and have purpose. And I really like that. I mean, that's. That's the cool thing with this is, and that's the one thing about social media that I do like is I love the creativity and the way people are changing things to fit their personalities. I think your personality is everything. And seeing when you're scrolling through, seeing somebody use your material in a way you never thought or seeing somebody make something just totally that blows your mind, Mm -hmm. that's awesome. Did you put your personality in your book? Um... In the beginning, yes. But I, you know, when they wanted me to do the book, they wanted me to do the, you know, the who, what, when, where, why. And I'm not, I'm not that kind of personality anyways. You know what I mean? Like, even, even from a guide perspective, like, I'm more interested in, like, having a good time on the river, telling jokes, having a good time catching a bunch of fish, and making the day fun. I mean, let's face it, when people book guides, they go to catch fish, have a great time. They want to be entertained. It's, yeah. this is an entertainment business. So I, I do that, you know, the fat guy, the bacon sandwiches, you know what I mean? (laughs) And we catch steelhead and we laugh and we hoot and holler and we make fun of each other and we have a great experience. And Mm. I think just like anything, I come back to it when I have a great experience every time. If I have fun, I want to do it again. If I think it's just 
one-sided, then, you know, it, it may be fun. It might be the best thing ever. But if it's not entertaining, I, I'm like anybody else. I want to be entertained, too. You know, I want to have a good time. But so, did you lace it in your chapters, though? Did you manage to put... I did, do. Did I put some put stories. You know, like some of the flies, you know, are made, like, time with my kids. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, watching Scooby-Doo and using cartoon characters or you know late night like you just can't sleep and finding flies in the scrap pile and you know you make something that looks really good and you want to try it out test it out and naming it based on a movie at 2 a.m in the morning you know so yeah you know it's some of it's oddballish and weird and you know components are are different and you know like i got a little bit of grief for putting a spinner blade you know, micro little. Oh, you spinner. did not, did you? Yeah, I, I did. just got your book a couple on days the, ago. So I'm ready. On the back of a shank that's inside, like an intruder style pattern. Tell me why. Well, our water gets a lot of steam when it gets high, and and I wanted something that was actually going to add vibration, make sound. And uh, I'm like anybody else anymore. Like usually on my days off, the conditions aren't the best. That's that's the crazy thing about our industry. If the fishing's good, we're fishing with somebody, right? Mm-hmm. When it's tough, you know, that's your time. Um, so I'd be out there and I'm fishing undesirable conditions and a lot of times muddy water. So adding like a spinner blade, you know, the, the little, little dinky willow blade or something to the back, you know, that vibration, it doesn't spin. It's not meant to do that. It's meant to clink off the shank and make noise. You know, we're fishing for predators with lateral lines. You know, wanted something so you add rubber legs and that and things that vibrate in the water and fish locate your fly better. Mm-hmm. That's what the purpose was. At what point do you, I hate this question, but I'm curious what your yeah. answer is going to be. At what point do you start to categorize those flies as lures being cast on fly lines? To be honest with you, I don't even really pay attention to any of that kind of stuff. I really don't. I look at it as this way, is anything that you have to create from scratch with a bobbin is a fly. That actually works for me. I, I just really, have a hell of a time casting spinners. See, my... Ethically. Well, see, it's, it's not... It's <laughs> not casting. But as you see it in the book, you will see it. It's called the Gangster Intruder. Okay, why? It's very fitting. It's the one with the blade. Uh, okay, I was telling okay, you about. Okay, yeah. It's totally not constructed the way you think it is. And you'll actually see... Like, I'm more about building flies that actually have some function. Like, I see it all the time that guys tie beautiful flies. And, but there's really no function to or purpose to it. It's just gorgeous. And I'm not saying that's bad. No. Some flies are gorgeous and they catch fish. Mm-hmm. But I'm just, like, I wanted some things that I had in my box. I'm not saying this is something that you tie hundreds of them and carry them around and it's the best thing in the world. Mm-hmm. But a couple of things that actually can hit on key elements that you're not going to be successful any other way. Why would you not give yourself an opportunity? It's like going archery hunting and not putting a broadhead on. You know what I mean? It's that's just the way I look at it. Is you know, if you're going to take time and think about a concept and put it to you know, bring it to life. You know, anymore, like anybody that says oh, fly tying is not fly tying because you add this component, it really doesn't matter. The funny thing is, eventually they will try to jump out of the box and try something different. I mean, you know, it's, I look at it as like anything that you see new that's coming out today, There's and there's a lot of synthetic and components and hybridized items that you can put on your flies to to enhance them and, and make them better. I, I look at it as, why are we so caught up on deciding which is a fly and which is a lure? My answer is, who gives a fuck? Mm-hmm. Like seriously, who does? Who has time to think about those things? I really don't care. I can't argue. I can't yeah, argue at all. Yeah. I can't argue you on it. I mean, you're not going to yeah. be seeing me casting. And I'm not offended if somebody walks up to me and says, "Oh, you're casting a lure." I'll be like, "Great." I don't think Whatever. you're offended by much, Greg. Not really. Um, but I mean, I get what you're saying. Like for me, I'm not going to put on a Colorado blade and just cast basically a blade or a spoon on my sink tip. I'm just not going to do no, it. No, no, no. But. I can't look you in the eye and say to you, don't put on a spinner blade and then go ahead, you know, turn around with my tube fly and burn on a cone head. There you go. I can't do that. I can't judge you. But see, and, and when I see spinner blade, you know, blade, you know, guys are probably thinking, oh my God, I'm putting this giant four inch willow blade off the back of a fly. That's right. Take the opportunity. Don't and tell it, them and what it, it is. And it's not. It's like literally a blade the size of your pinky nail. Mm. It is so small. And the whole antenna is, is you know, my sh- the shanks are metal. 
they clank, they, they vibrate. And they also provide a little bit of flash, you know, so, and it's in the rear of the fly. So, you know, as your stinger wire is going, it's, it's tucked underneath everything. So it gives it a really cool element. I mean, you move it in the water, you can feel it. Mm -hmm. And to be honest with you anymore, like, it's like I said, when you, you have to take advantage of every opportunity it is to fish, you want to have a few tools that you can give yourself a chance to be successful. I mean, I'll be honest with you. I am not the, t the fly fisherman that goes out to try to make fancy cast and to improve my casting all the time. I, I like to fish because I want an opportunity to catch a fish. And I enjoy that. I mean, that's why I go it. I, I get excited every time I catch a steelhead, especially swinging flies. I, I, it kind of rejuvenated things for me. I was an indicator guy. I had white dots in my eyes after guiding for yeah. so long from watching bobbers go down. And we yeah. used to paint smiley faces on them and put little puffs of egg yarn at the top of them and just look at your client and be like, when Bob goes underwater, he's drowned and save him. I mean, anything to entertain yourself to get through the day. Mm -hmm. Uh, of doing it and it's not that it's a bad tactic or it's not successful or anything like that it's just how much like how many fish can i put in a net how tired i was i was stale i was literally losing my drive to want to fly fish for steelhead especially on the great lakes so on my rivers which is primarily indicator fishing switching to a fly that's four inches long and swinging it across and getting them to chase it down and eat it is pretty grand, if you ask me. Mm -hmm. Okay, because even today on a lot of these small tributaries, nobody is willing to try it. And I, to be honest with you, as much as I tell people how great it is and everything else, I don't really care if they try it or not. <laughs> I'm going to go do it and I'm going to catch fish and I'm really going to enjoy myself and so are my clients. They're going to have a great time. And if you don't want to, I'm totally okay with that. Yeah. You know, it you. gets to the point where you can only say things to people so many times before they either do it or they don't. Right. So I'm not going to lead a horse to water anymore. Talk to me about being stale. When it comes to guiding, there comes a point in most guides' careers when they just decide, I'd rather be spending my time either fishing for myself or working on something else or being with my family or traveling, etc. Right. Has that happened to you? I, it happened a few years ago. I know. I mean, I'm just trying to leave you in gently. You know, that's <laughs> that's kind of the like I said is like you know I feel really honored to work with the guys that I do. I mean, the guys that the guide for Steelhead Alley Outfitters right now, they're if you ask me, they're they're the best in the region. They are dedicated. They are hardworking. They are super fishy. They are super fun. That's that's when I knew it was time to go and not and focus on my business and my fly tying. And fishing for me was is when I wasn't having fun anymore. Right. And that's what I mean by by going stale. I mean I, I couldn't stand there for eight hours anymore and put ten steelhead in the net, caught on a bobber. And you know how just like I do, you know, certain fish are super aggressive. How many times can you catch steelhead that you call Bob? <laughs> you know, before you've had enough. And the only thing that kept me going for all those years was I really enjoyed spending time with some of these people that I fished with for so long. Mm -hmm. But I also realized that just like any sustainable business or anything else, like diversity, giving people an opportunity or an opportunity to fish with other people, new personalities, new perspectives, mm -hmm. you know, that was the way to go. I mean, it was getting to the point where my staff was kind of outperforming what I could do on the water yeah. and they were younger and they were funner and you know, they, they were enthusiasm. They could handle everything the stress and everything that goes with the day. And I was getting to the point where I was just getting crabby. You know, I was that guy that was just like, yeah, yeah, yeah. I just, you know, I, I, I lost it and I really didn't get excited again until, you know, Skagit lines came and like they came booming. I mean, they like come out of the closet hard over here. You know, switch rods got re revitalized, and you know it was okay. You know, big flies were becoming popular, so people were really getting excited. And we were going out and flaring around, and you know, not doing things right. And you know, finally we met the right people or spent time with the right people, like Will Turk, for example. You know, Will Turk was. Fish first in California, coming to the area, and you know he's the first one that really took the time to go, dude. 
let's let's improve this, but let's do it a fun way. You yeah, know, let's, and, and let's incorporate it into your day. And just we should, you know, I should mention Patty Beasley brought me out here initially yep. for her show in Indiana. Yeah. And then you and Will brought me out the second time. Correct. And it was great fun. And and Will does a kick-ass class. He's very smart. And he's an incredible caster. He's an incredible caster. And it's because of him, like, I've advanced in my casting. Like, you know, it had nothing to do with... It just... He gave me the knowledge I needed, and I practiced, 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 practiced. But the cool thing was, is, like, the reward at the end was really new and intriguing. And you... I felt like I was working again for a reward. Why did you make the decision... Even though you found a new methodology that you really enjoyed, why did you make the decision to stop guiding? Like I said, my staff was better. And number two, like I've I've only really been spade casting for the last ten years. You know, I'm not I'm not qualified to be anybody's instructor. You know, I'm still working out my little, you know, quirks and, and things like that. You know, I'm I'm no expert at it. You know, I, I just work really hard to be more than proficient. You know, and I, I fish extremely hard. Like, I, I see it all the time. Guys cast a fly, swing a fly across the river. I put an extra amount of time into fly design and fishing my flies. Like, I want them to swim right. I want them to be at a certain level. I, I, I get it. I guess it, maybe I get a little bit too deep in my thoughts and thought. You know, I really get involved in it, and it's for me. So I do a couple of swung fly trips a year, you know, with really good customers or guys that really have that urge you know to go but like the swinging thing is for me it's kind of rejuvenized my steelhead and i've just spent more time focused on making sure that my comp you know our company and, and the team and everything is the best they can be they have the resources available to them to continue education to to do a good job with clients and that's it's almost a full-time job in itself and then i really focus on my my tying and my materials and i took time off because of the book and uh, i mean we're not even mentioning the most important things like spending time like family you know and, and all those things you know i have kids you know they're it's super important to you know i want to be involved and what's going on. So, you know, you have to come to a point when you make those kind of decisions to put some of the, what you want to do to the side to make sure you do things right for your family. And and that's my outfitter included. I mean, you have to do what's right. And, you know, that's a big deal. You just mentioned, you know, maybe you think a little deep. And I'll be honest with you, Greg, you're one of the smartest people I know. And I'm not that smart, so that's scary. Hang tight now. I think you're highly understated. And I think that people highly underestimate you. But maybe that's why I do okay. Maybe that's why people don't think of you as a threat as far as business goes until suddenly you're plastered all over their wall on labels. Maybe that's why. Maybe true. But Greg, you brought up something very interesting earlier when we were having a conversation. And you said to me something about hard work and maybe one of the downfalls or one of the downsides to social media is that when we post something... It looks all peachy and great, except we're not being honest with Correct. people. Now, this has been a very interesting circuit for me. People wanted to know about how I made it. How did you do it? What was your mindset? What was your big break? All of those questions. So did, they, did you answer them with like the thousands of hours of work that Oh you put my in? God. As soon as I started throwing it at them, they literally, I watched people step back. And I wasn't even aggressive in my answer. I just... When I started to explain how much work went into it, I could see that those dreams that they had of just either smiling for a camera and or starting a guiding operation, I could see that all of a sudden their shoulders, I mean, everything just kind of dropped on them because they realized, oh, maybe I shouldn't just quit my job tomorrow to start being a guide. Maybe there's a lot more. I saw them get tired, Greg. I saw them listen to me and just get tired. And you had mentioned, April, maybe it's not being totally truthful. By posting a photo and making it look like you just decided one day, for example, to buy a piece of property and set up a wall tent and live in this wall tent. And my brain has been going nonstop for the past four and a half hours thinking, holy shit, he's right. And I just, I really want to take this opportunity, even though I told you I wouldn't discuss this because it is too psychological and it is too deep and it is too close to home. I just want to take this opportunity because I feel like a fraud to my here, I know you just made a face and you just made it like you just ate a sour lemon. Like I'm not a fraud, but I feel like a fraud in the way that. No, I, I think we're all at fault. You know, it's um, every time somebody 
somebody sees us do something, you know, it's like always in our best moment. You know, it's always, you know, here's this cool place I'm at. Here's this cool fish I caught. It, you know, it's, it's almost like, you know, I, I go on social media and I live through a lot of people sometimes too, especially in tough situations where I really love seeing, you know, like I would love to be on the Pinoy, you know, catching an Atlantic salmon, you know, a place I, I may never visit. It's just being truthful. You know, I may, may never just have the time to visit, you know, but I see it and I dream about it. And sometimes, you know, like some of the things I think that we post, you know, especially like since we're active in our industries, you know, we post these images and these experiences, but they're not really the true experience of what we're, where we're just capturing that best moment. And people don't realize like how much work and how much money is spent and how much time is lost and like how much it really takes to get to that point. You know, how many nights that you have to stay up till 4 a.m. in the morning, you know, and, you know, to get stuff done. And, and the truth of the matter is, is, you know, there's, there's a core group of people that are like really trying to take it to another level and do some really cool things. But, you know, as a fly fisherman, as, as a viewer seeing it, you know, we only see that glory moment. We don't see like what it takes to get there. And it kind of, at sometimes I feel like it's like a false hope. It feeds into people's dreams. And, you know, it, let's be honest, you know, we follow our dreams and it can, make people make decisions that maybe aren't right, right for them. You know, it's not for me to judge them. I'm not saying it that way, but I mean, how many times have you seen something was awesome and you had to go do it? You drop what you were doing. And sometimes you wish, Holy God, maybe I shouldn't have did that (laughs) or I shouldn't have spent that money. You know, maybe I should have followed another path. Yeah. And I think we're responsible for that. You know, and I, I mean, I look at that a lot with like, you know, my customers and like people that, you know, depend on, you know, we're part of their entertainment, their livelihood, their, you know, they, they seek that experience. Uh, they, they want to catch more fish. They're, there's always that next evolution that they're always looking to get to. And I think realistically we have to keep in focus. Like we need to show the whole picture. Sometimes we need to show like the hard part of this, you know, <laughs> and you spurred me into this because of family, because you mentioned family. Mm-hmm. Cause I get an email probably every two days from somebody who says, I want to make a career out of this industry. And I mean, I'm sure you get it, get it too. Right. And they say, At times, tell me what, what do I need to do? And I used to really sugarcoat it. And now I just say to them, look, honestly, you're going to have to make a ton of sacrifices. And one of those sacrifices is going to be your family. Cause if you really want to do this full time, you likely have to travel a lot, but I just wanted to bring it up because it is important that it's at least acknowledged at some point. So I guess my big question to you, because I do admire your intelligence and your drive and your path so far, how do we stay pro industry and honest. You know, it's like I was saying, we all have some type of stigmata. I mean, let's let's just put it into uh, something comparable. Um, I, I'm on Steelhead Alley, a stocked steelhead fishery. You know, there's no, I mean, there's no glorified credit for that. I, I just look at it this way. I love my fishery. I think from Buffalo to Cleveland, we have the most world-class fishery. You know, I know you guys don't classify them on the West as a steelhead. You know, they're a steelhead well, genetic strain. But yeah. the way I look at it is I'm passionate about my fishery first. I focus on my fishery, you know, especially my home waters, you know, in, in Pennsylvania and on the Ohio border. They're, they're special for me. You know, it's my home. And it's just like anything else. We're always going to have detractors. We're always going to have somebody that's going to try to discredit what you're doing. Um, but it's, I think it's like that in any industry, any, any type of work or anything else. And, you know, sometimes I think because we're so passionate about things that we do that we kind of, it overshadows things or, you know, it weighs heavy on your mind and uh, it makes it hard sometimes to want to continue to do things. But, you know, am I quiet about it? Sometimes, you know, I, I think sometimes people just don't care. I think there's a lot of people that think that this is like a fast game. Like I, you know, I got laid off my job. I'm going to go be a fishing guy because I still had fish all the time and I can do this. You know, they don't realize that like there's other people that, that are dependent on these things. And they've also put so much time into, you know, let's face it. A fishing guide is not just catching fish. 
I mean, they're a psychologist, they're a chef, they're, they're a comedian. There are all kinds of different things. And it takes a really special person. Like, I don't classify, my, classify myself as a guide, even though I've guided for a long time. There are, there are people out there in the world. You know, I, like, for example, I look at somebody like Jacko Lucas. Mm-hmm. He's a fishing guide. He is a fishing guide. He is a fishing guide. He's 100%. You know, and that's just an example. I look at, you know, somebody local like a Mike Schultz. You know, it's got a fly shop. He's guiding. He's juggling so many different things. He's he's a fishy guy. He's a fishing guide. You know, like, and there's a lot. I'm just naming a couple. You know, and I'm, I'm just, there's so many different paths that you can take with this. This is the way I look at it with, with the fishing industry. And, and not only that, let's admit the fishing industry is very small. It's tiny. It is super small. Everybody's fighting for a piece of it. And the ones that are doing good are just fighting a little harder. They're finding ways to be creative. They're finding ways to rejuvenate. Not just, you know, you know like you're, you're doing a lot right now with history and older flies. And your podcasts have reflected well on some of, you know, the originals that, you know, guys that really put the time in. You know, some of them, you know, people don't even know who they are. And they're an incredible portion of, of, of our industry, especially a steelheader, you know, at heart. But at the same token, you know, it's, it's a new age. It's a new dawn. It's a new time. We need to pay homage to our past, but we also need to move forward. But times are different. They, you know, like if you, I can't compare back then to comparing today. I mean, they didn't have the internet like we have the internet they don't have some guy that can just sit behind a computer and you know make your life hell you know you know it's i hate to use the word bullying like i kind of laugh at it it's like everybody always wants to say something from a distance nobody wants to say anything to your face i think it's totally bullying i mean i think it's like cyber bullying whatever you want i look at this way you can't bully a bully you know we're all bullish at some point you know we're all confident you know, we're all good fishers. There's a lot of us. You have to admit, there's a lot of them, people that specialize in, in all, all areas. I, I look at it this way. Like, my home fishery is my home fishery. That's what I'm good at. You know, I love to fish other places, but that's what I concentrate on, my tying and my home fishery. And I think that's important. And I think that's the staple. I think that's the way it used to be. You know, that's the one thing I always took from reading anything from old. You know, is they really focused on their home waters and they use their experiences in their home waters to, to gain a vast knowledge of other places, you know, cause it, the more you can dissect and tear apart and really become involved with your fishery, the easier it is for you to go to other fisheries and apply and then take local knowledge, and really meet people and do some cool things. You know, let's be honest. Let's, let's be totally honest with, with, with your, your listeners we're all human. We don't dis- we don't agree all the time. We totally have different opinions. We totally have different paths we want to go. Um, a lot of times we just smile and shake hands and for the sake of everything, just say nothing. And sometimes something needs to be said, but then you look at it as like, who am I to be the one to say anything? You know, so... I've just come to the point where I've just taken myself out of it. So the quiet part of me is just, I don't, I don't want to, I don't care anymore to have a say in the matter. I'm more focused on what's going on with my business and my family and, and my guys and, and what I can do to, you know, to affect things on my fishery versus caring what the industry as a whole is doing. You know, and I think overall people work together really nice, but you know it as well as I do. You know, it's, it has its moments. You know, it's very trying. There's, there's a lot of opinions. There's a lot of theories. There's a lot of expertise. There's a lot of different things. And we just don't all see eye to eye. And it's okay. And it's totally okay. But the computer with the keyboard, you know, kind of makes you... Sometimes, you know, when how many times have you said something online that you're passionate about and you've had somebody come back and just like try, totally just try to discredit it? 
like right away, just has something negative to say about everything. I'm just tired of being negative. I'm tired of fighting with people. I, I don't have time to deal with that anymore. I, I don't want to deal with it anymore. And I'm not going to deal with it anymore. You know, the person that has enough sack, I'll just say it that way, to come actually have a conversation and say, hey, you know, I have a problem with the way you're doing things. And I would really seriously sit down and think about it. I would. You know, because it, it takes a lot for a person to come up and shake your hand, have a nice conversation and say, you know, I don't really agree with what you're doing. And, you know, I think you could do it differently. And I can ask why. You know, at least I get something out of the deal instead of some ridicule or, you know, heartburn or, you know, <laughs> worrying about it or whatever. You know what I mean? So anymore, I don't even I don't even put a focus on it. The, my whole drive is to be positive anymore. So if we want to fix the industry, it's everybody being positive. And that's the thing is, like, we use that word lightly, fly fishing industry. Like, I don't, you know, besides, like, doing materials and stuff, like, what is my contribution to the industry? You know what I mean? Like, I'm just a a small portion of a very, very big machine. You know what I mean? And it seems like today there's, like, just people after people after people after people, you know, coming in. And there's a lot going on. You know what I mean? So... Maybe it's just I'm getting older, you know. I just uh, maybe lost my drive to be focused on the gossip and, you know, that's it. So I just choose to say no. No, thank you. I am so right behind you. Yeah. And you know what? I'll be honest with you. It's better. now. And now the relationships I do have in the industry are so much better. They're so much more genuine. Like, we don't have to talk about fishing. Like, you know it as well as I do. How many fishing guides at the end of the day want to sit around and talk about the fish they caught? Did we even talk about fishing once? Not, not once. And that's the whole point. Like, you know, it's, it's pleasure, but it's, it's also we're in it all day, every day, all the time. I really don't want to talk about it. You know, I want to talk about, like, normal things, you know, like who won the football game, what kind of beer you want, <laughs> you know. Yeah, I know. Where can we go get a steak? And that is why I wanted to kind of take you off the topic of, of fishing. Yeah, I think I probably going to be your first podcast that uh, we talk more outside the fishing realm than inside the fishing realm. Maybe. Is there anything that you would like to add or ask me? Do not ask me what it's like to be a woman. In you, know I was gonna, oh, you know I was going to, you know, because you totally set yourself up for that. <laughs> no. no. And that concludes this episode of Anchored. Thanks for listening.